Our call to confession this morning comes from two verses, Genesis 1.1. And for those of you that were in Sunday school, it'll bring back a few memories from a little bit ago. And then also 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the world and the earth. Second, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No test or temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with every test or temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Why are we be able to pass the tests and temptations of life? Why are we able to endure it? Because God gave us life. God is for us. He is our Father. He wants us to trust and obey Him. He gives us these tests so that we may learn to trust Him more and more every day. These temptations and trust opportunities come every day in many different ways. He is trying to conform us to, the, to be better image bearers of him. We are born to be image bearers, Genesis 1:26. He builds us up so that we may be adults, strong in faith. He builds us up through these testing that he may bless us so that we may be a blessing to others. We read the scripture. We'll hear about a test today when Andrew Zabel comes and preaches from Genesis 22 that Abraham had a significant test in his life. Will he believe the promises of God? God gives us each a way to escape. I don't know what the testing in your lives are, the temptations in your lives, but we are called to trust and obey God. With those reminders, we have many things to confess our sins. So please, if you are able, Kneel with me as we confess our sins. All right, before we uh, go to God's word, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this Lord's Day to gather. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for um, Abraham, uh, the example of great faith. Uh, thank you for your son, Christ, of whom this text points to, the one descendant of whom um, all the nations are blessed and whom possesses the gates of his enemies. We ask that you would bless us today, uh, speak to us through your text. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. amen. All right, Genesis 22. I will begin reading here. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. 
And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went to, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, <coughs> firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, um, Chesed, or Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jiptah, Bethiel, Bethiel, fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Ma'akah. One cannot come to the text of Genesis 22 and not hear the famous passage from John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, right? His only begotten son. And we read it in the Nicene Creed as well the only begotten son of the father, not made, right? Eternally begotten. Similarly, it may call back to verses like in Jesus's baptism, like in Mark, where the spirit of the Lord descends on Jesus like a dove. And it says, this is my son of whom I am well pleased. And we hear that here with the story of Isaac, Isaac, the one and only son, the one whom Abraham loves. <clears throat> but I contend to you, these these um, allusions pointing to Christ is not the only focus of the passage. Today's passage is primarily about the faith of Abraham, the nature of faith and the confirmation of his faith and the confirmation of the blessing, which God set out beforehand back in Genesis 12. So let's take a trip back just to recap Abraham's life briefly, because it's hard to understand just how intense this test of faith is without understanding the whole of Abraham's life. 
In Genesis 12, we hear that he was called out of the land of his fathers, what is modern-day Baghdad or Iraq. Uh, he was 75 years old. Chances are he had a family. Nephews, not his own family, not a descendant, but nephews, brothers, sisters, grandparents. He was probably living a flourished life. And we know from the book of Joshua that he was an idol worshiper. He was worshiping false gods. But Abraham had one thing that he probably saw many others did not have one thing that he saw many others have, and that was a descendant, an heir to pass on his wealth, his legacy, his teachings, whatever it may be. Children were seen and still are seen as a blessing for us to pass on so much to. But Abraham and Sarah were without this. Chances are they had made idols to false gods. They had worshiped, maybe even offered sacrifices to these gods. They wanted a child. And so they may have even made their own household gods to a goddess of fertility, like it was very common in those days. They had been married for 50 plus years, probably. Married at a young age, chances are. We don't know for sure. But then all of a sudden, in Genesis 12, a foreign god to him, what is oftentimes connotated as the maker of heaven and earth, the one true God, as we read in Genesis, calls out to Abraham and calls him out of this land of idolatry and says, come to a land which I will show you and I will give you a descendant and your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And so Abraham, on faith, listens to the voice of the one true God and he goes He goes to this foreign land, leaving all that is behind to worship a new God, the one true God. And so I want to draw a quick application to our own lives in this. Chances are many of us have felt this type of hope, this calling when we first became Christians, right? We were called out of darkness into light. Abraham, he was called out of idolatry into true worship. And so he was probably ecstatic with new faith. Look, I have a new God. He's going to give me these descendants. And so he goes. But then like many of us, and like Abraham, the dreaded old time set in. 11 years, and Abraham had no child. The way of women had passed with Sarah. She could not bear children. All seemed seemed hopeless. And so it might be sometimes for us in our walk of faith. And so what did Abraham do? He decided to take matters into his own hand. Instead of trusting in the words of God, he decided, him and Sarah, decided to procreate via means that they know would work. Sarah's concubine, Hagar. And so they made a son, Ishmael. But guess what? This was not an act of faith. This was not the descendant that God had promised because God had promised him and Sarah a descendant, not him and Hagar. And so Abraham violated the promise. And God had every right to just take away the promise from him because Abraham continued to not trust him in this act. But our God is a good God. And what he sets out to accomplish, he finishes. When he says, I will give you a descendant to Abraham, guess what? He will give him a descendant, regardless if Abraham obeys perfectly. And so it might be with us in faith a lot of times. Many times we walk, we walk the daily life. Time sets in. We had hopes. We feel like something should be going right, but it's not. 
and we start to lose a little bit of hope, right? And the voices creep in. And the biggest, the biggest voice I think that creeps in is telling us that God is not good, right? Surely God won't provide. Ah, but his word says he will, and we'll see that with the story of Abraham as we continue. And so there's grace whenever we do fail, and there's grace for Abraham as well. I want us to see that. Abraham failed, but guess what? He continued to walk in faith. 13 years later, an angel comes to Sarah, promises a child, and guess what? She laughs, and so his name is Isaac. But lo and behold, one year later, the child is born, and a miracle happened, and maybe their faith is renewed again, and they continue to walk in faith. They're like, yes, God will provide. God will provide. Look at this miracle that happened. It is all so true. And then we come to Genesis chapter 22, and we see after these things, and that's what all these things are. That's why we recap Abraham's life, so we get an idea. It's been about Isaac is probably seven years old at this time, seven, eight. It's unknown exactly, but roughly that age. So it's probably been about 32 years since he's been called out of the idol-worshiping land. He's been given a descendant, and then God says to him, look, you must take this one and only son whom you love and go sacrifice him. And so the test is, will Abraham trust God that his promises are true no matter what? That's the test. <clears throat> and so it is the test with us many times when we walk in faith, right? Are we going to trust in the salvation that we were given by Christ? Are we going to trust in the goodness of God? Are we going to trust that what he has started in us, the good work that he had started, he will finish in us as well? And so <clears throat> we come uh, to Abraham's big step in faith. But I want us to just be aware that this step in faith that he's taking is not separated from a life of faith. He had had 32 years of getting up daily, probably being remembered of, look, I don't have a son, or 25 years, sorry. I don't have a son yet. I don't have a son yet, right? And so he had to recall back to the promises, to the words of God, to the word of God, that what he said is true. And so he had to put his faith in God. And lo and behold, it came true. And so we come to the beginning of the text here. After this older man, <laughs> miraculously, an older woman miraculously bare a son. And it says, take your son Isaac, your one and only son. Now, I want to pause here really quickly. Because I don't know if you realize, but Abraham actually has two sons, right? He has a son through Hagar and a son through Sarah. But here it says your one and only son, or some of your translations say your only son, your singular son, according to the promise. That's what it's talking about. Abraham has one son according to the promise. He doesn't have multiple sons because one son was born out of faith, not with Sarah, not according to the promise. This son is born according to the promise in faith with Sarah. Second, the son whom you love and we get, we get a sense of that in the text with the back and forth between Isaac and Abraham. My son, my father, my son, my father. These are very personal terms that they're, they're expressing to one another. It's not that he doesn't have a good relationship. In fact, he probably has a great relationship with his son. And it's probably a very terrible and terrifying thing to step out. But lo and behold, Abraham gets up knowing, as we learn in Hebrews 11, knowing that even if he has to sacrifice his son, God is able to raise the dead. 
God will provide the descendant because God said it, that he would. But I want to jump into some of the nuances of uh, kind of the details of what it might look like for Abraham to walk out in faith here. We, we read here that he got up early in the morning. Many times faith, well, first of all, I want to, I want to dissociate faith and feelings and what, like what we might experience in a daily trial, right? Some people might take this as Abraham was so eager to obey God that he got up early and he just wanted to go obey him. But I would argue that it's actually somewhat different. Just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, walking in faith, knew the trials that he was going to face. And guess what? He was sweating blood. Now, I heard some medical doctor talk about these terms, but basically you're under so much duress that you start sweating blood. But yet, Jesus didn't sin. He continued in faith. And I would argue the same thing here for Abraham and the same thing for our lives. Many times these trials will come upon us and they won't feel nice. It will feel like a trial. Hence, we use the word. It will feel, there'll be tension. We might have sleepless nights. We might be up all night crying if there's a death of a loved one or something tragic happened. We might not know what to do, but faith goes beyond these circumstances. We learn in Hebrews 11 that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Faith goes deeper than our knowledge and our heart. Faith is a conviction. It combines the whole person. It's, a, it's knowing so deep that what God has said is true, that nothing will shake you, not even the greatest trial. And so we see that with Abraham. He probably got up early because he was not sleeping well. He's like, what is going to happen? Right? And so they continue on to Mount Moriah. Now, just a side note, Mount Moriah is thought of to be where the modern-day Temple Mount is in Jerusalem. So I want us to see the connection here, right? Abraham is taking his one and only son, whom he loves, to Jerusalem, where Jerusalem will be established, to sacrifice him. The same place where our, our Savior, the one and only begotten Son of God, went and was sacrificed, right? Where he started that trial. And so the, the connections are grand here. So he takes his son, he takes the young men, and they go. And uh, Isaac has a question for him. He says, my father, where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And what does Abraham say? Abraham says, God will provide. And I would argue this is the essence and at the core of our trials of faith is a belief and a temptation to think that God will not provide in our time of need. But I can assure you in my short life and seeing in other people's life, God will provide. All we need to do is walk in faith in Jesus Christ, right? Christ in faith bearing the shame of, bore the shame of the cross for the hope set before him. And so we are to do similarly, to take up our crosses daily, to trust that God will provide. Jesus, when he went into the, into the wilderness to be tempted, that was one of the biggest temptations. Will God provide? He didn't eat for 40 days, right? And Satan says, you know, turn these, uh, can't you make this stone bread? Eat, fill your belly. But he went back to the words of God. <clears throat> he trusted in the words of God. 
And so we are to trust in the word of God, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so he takes the burnt offering. They go up three days later to Mount Moriah. He binds his son. And I'm sure this whole time he's wondering, you know, will God provide? Maybe there's some inserts of doubt there. But he's holding true because he, he's convinced. He's assured of this hope, a great hope that he has. And he takes this, <clears throat> he uh, binds Isaac and he takes the knife. And he's about to sacrifice his son. And then all of a sudden you hear from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. I want to pause here because the idea of fearing God in the Old Testament sometimes can be a disconnect, or it was for me, especially when I became a new Christian, of how does it apply to our lives? Fear of God in the Old Testament, we learn it's the beginning of knowledge, right? But it is also an act of faith, right? There's this idea of what authority are you listening to? Are you listening to your own desires? Are you listening to the authority of the world? Or are you listening to the authority of God, right? Are you listening to what God says and fearing him above other things? Whatever it may be in your life. And so fearing God here is an act of faith. <clears throat> and he says, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your one and only son from me. And lo and behold, God did provide. And guess what? He names the place God will provide. Now, I don't know if you all have heard um, the term Jehovah Jireh. I had a pastor who talked, said that a lot. I didn't know where it came from, actually, until I studied Genesis 22. That is the name of the place. Some people call it Jehovah Jireh, you know, Yahweh, your A, whatever, whatever you want to do for your Hebrew pronunciation, right? That term has a deep meaning to it. It literally means the Lord will see. Uh, it's a, the, just a general word for seeing, right? But it also has a deep understanding that the Lord sees our plight. The Lord understands and he will provide accordingly. <clears throat> and so when we are in these trials, when we are in the thicket of it, being tempted to despair in a sense, I want to encourage us, I think, one way to combat this, one way to, you know, overcome these, these thoughts. Uh, Jesus tells us in the Gospels, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all else will be added to you. And I hope you see the parallel with the passage in Hebrews, right? It talks about how Abraham sought a city, an unperishable city. He had a hope that was beyond his land. He could have returned to his idol worshiping, but he didn't. He sought the heavenly city. And so too, we are to seek the kingdom of God first. Because in doing so, God will provide all of our needs. Now I wanna read for you the passage in Hebrews uh, one through three, because I think, let's, I wanna pause on the idea of faith, right? What does it mean to have faith? Because we kind of walk through what did Abraham do, but what does it really mean to have faith? And I've kind of hinted at it, but I'm just going to read for you Hebrews 1, um, 11, 1 through 3, and break it down a little bit, because I think it gives great insight into what Abraham is doing here and how it applies to our lives. So Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For, it, for by it the people of old received their commendation. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Two things. First, I want to pause on faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We cannot have faith if we don't have hope. We cannot have faith if we don't have hope. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. Our hope is in the fact that he came, as we read in the Nicene Creed, incarnate. He died on the cross. He bore our sins and he rose again. And by having faith in him, we will rise again one day. Christ overcame all of the, the battles that we need to overcome in our lives for us. His righteousness is our righteousness, right? He was perfect. He was sinless. We will fail. But if we continue to have faith in him, if we walk each day in faith, trusting in Christ that he will provide, surely enough, we will grow in faith. Second, it's a conviction of things not seen. None of us here were present at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. None of us were here. We have witnesses, but we weren't there. But this is the things not seen, right? We didn't see this happen, but we believe it. We have a conviction of it. And more importantly, we understand right here in verse 3, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. None of us were present at the creation of the universe. We read in Genesis 1-3. But when God said, let there be light, and there was light. When he says it, it happens. And so when Christ says, uh, take heart, I have overcome the world. Or when it says, he who began a good work in you will finish it. Those things are true. You can trust those that it will happen in your life. Because faith is like a tree, right? When we became Christians, we were pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And a seed was planted, a seed of faith. And like any tree, it takes time to grow. We have to water it daily. We have to walk daily in faith. When we encounter the trials, when maybe we're short on money this week and we're, where's it going to come from? We go to God and we pray. Or maybe food is short. Or maybe something happens to our house and there's a huge bill that came. Maybe a loved one died. Maybe miscarriages happened. Maybe a car accident happened. Maybe something other terrible happened. You're wondering, what is happening in my life and where is God in it? Why isn't he providing? Just like Abraham had to step out in faith and combat these things in a trial and trust God, so do we, right? We need to step out and say, God will provide just as Abraham did because surely enough he will and he is good and he cares for you. He cares greatly for you. Um, what it calls back to my mind is 1 John uh, 1, where it says, if we confess, he is just and faithful to forgive. Right? So when we do fail in these times, because we will, we all do, and that's why it's a daily walk of faith, I want to encourage you that his word tells you that if you go to him and confess, he is just and faithful to forgive. And additionally, he says in James, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, right? That's what these trials are, trials of faith, for they produce perseverance and endurance. And in time, we want to become more and more like Christ. 
We want the tree to grow. But if the tree does not bear fruit, it begs the question if we ever had faith, right? And so some people, wrongly, unfortunately, um, because we are reformed, we believe faith alone, sometimes they see faith as just obedience, right? If you obey, then you're good. And sometimes we hear that faith is just faith. It's a mental assent, but there's no follow-up with action. But in Abraham's life, what we see is what I like to call a confirmation of faith or a vindication of faith, right? Back in Genesis 15, we know that his faith was attributed to him as righteousness. And so too for us, our faith in Christ is attributed to us as righteousness. But just like a tree, when we plant the seed and we water it, if it doesn't grow, it begs the question, was there ever a tree there? If I tell you, hey, look, I planted this tree two years ago in my backyard and you look there and there's nothing there, you're kind of wondering, am I crazy? Um, and so too, it's with faith, right? We do need to confirm or step out in faith. We need to participate in our salvation. It's not that it's dependent on us because we will fail and all of our salvation is in Christ. It's hid with Christ and so we are unioned with him. But just as James says, if you have faith without action, do you have any faith at all, right? And so when you encounter these trials, I want to tell you that, well, from Psalm 32, blessed is the one whom the Lord overlooks his sins. Because we will face these trials and we will succeed sometimes and we will fail sometimes. But you have a great high priest who, does not, who sympathizes with your weaknesses, right? You have a great high priest who understands all the trials and temptations and he will provide for you. All we need to do is go to him. Go to him in prayer. Ask him in faith and he will provide and continue to walk in faith each and every day. So I want to leave you with four kind of applications for what it looks like for us, you know, as believers in Christ. And I kind of already just, I just touched on it a little bit, so I might be a little ahead of myself. But the first thing I want you to know is that when the test comes, and it will come, right, the storm will come, it's going to show us if our house is built on the rock or on the sand, right? But I want to assure you that if you fail in it, you have a high priest who loves you. Jesus Christ loves you, and you can go to him every single time and confess and continue to walk in repentance. Um, for he knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. He's not unaware of the trial. And he is just and faithful to forgive you if you go to him. And you are blessed if he, for, if he overlooks your sins, as we see in Psalm 32. Second, I want to encourage you that acting in faith is a very good thing. Sometimes, or at least I learned this a little bit, going into Reformed faith, that like, we don't do anything for our salvation. And sometimes that led to inaction to a great degree. But actually stepping out in faith, when you encounter these trials and you feel that tension, you go to a brother and sister of Christ, or you know, a loved one dies and you're like, is God good? And you go to someone and you ask them, these things that you are doing are good for you are seeking God above all else. And so I encourage you when the trials come to step out in faith. It is a good thing to act in faith. Thirdly, it's imperative that we don't mix up feelings, desires, and faith, 
I think sometimes, especially in our culture where, um, especially in the evangelical culture where things are generally trending towards, you know, it's all about emotion-based or response, that our emotions and feelings are not an indication strictly of whether we have sinned or not sinned, whether we are walking in faith or not faith, right? We can feel happy in sin. We can feel happy in not sin. We can feel angry and not sin, as it said in Psalm 4 that we read, or we can feel angry and sin. These feelings of ours are not the indication of sin, of faith. Faith is a conviction. And how we respond to these situations oftentimes shows us and determines what our faith is like. Don't neglect your feelings at all. I'm not saying that. But just be aware that your faith, just like for Abraham, even though he may have been feeling stressed to some point, uh, is not an indication or is not linked one-to-one with your feelings. And lastly, and this touches on the last point of the passage, um, through faith, we are able to overcome sin. We were called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We were once slaves to sin, and Christ set us free, right? And now we are slaves to Christ. And so when we encounter these trials, just like Abraham did, it is through faith that he was able to overcome sin and evil. It is through faith that we understand that we are not to respond to evil with evil, for we know that God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right? And so we trust in the word of God. And so what we see here at the end of the passage is two prophetic texts that kind of ground this theology for us. First off, it says, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Your offspring, singular. And your offspring, singular, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This offspring is Christ. This offspring coming from Abraham is the savior of the world who, when he died and rose again, he now reigns over the entire world. And he has control over all of it. And when it says that you will possess the gate of your enemies, that means that you will own the city, basically. The enemy will have no more control over you. And guess what? We as Christians, now slaves to Christ, not slaves to sin, we have overcome through the blood of the Lamb to be not in that city, to not be in the city of darkness, but in the city of light. And it is through faith that we are able to do this. It is through faith in Christ. And so I want to leave you with that. I want to leave you with the encouragement that Abraham, a man who is 75 years old, called out of idol worship into a foreign land to worship the one true God, who, in, who stumbled in his faith, and yet God continued to provide. See this as an example for your life. See this as an encouragement for your life that God, no matter what happens in your life, will be there and he will provide for you. And it is through Christ Jesus and it is through the faith in Christ that you're able to overcome these things. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you for the example of Abraham and thank you for your son, Christ. Uh, We ask that you be with um, all the people this week as they go about in their daily lives, that if they encounter any trial or temptation, that they would know that they have a great high priest who loves and sympathizes for them, who will cover their sins and seeks their good. And we ask that you encourage everyone to seek you when those trials come, to seek you in faith, knowing that what you say is true. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.
the charge this morning is as you read through the scriptures over and over and over again to yourself and to your children's children, remind yourself and your children to believe the promises of God. All promises are, are believed by faith. Remember your covenant. Remember Abraham. Trust and obey. Now please stand for the commissioning. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.